Thanks for joining us for this podcast. We hope that it inspires you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about the life and ministry of City Lights Church and how you can connect with us at city-lights.church. So we are in the final week of our series, which is called Better Decisions. I hope that you have benefited from this series. I hope that it has encouraged you and inspired you, because who knows that decision-making is a huge part of our world. It's a huge part of life. The average person makes 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000. And so each week we've had a big idea for each week. I'm going to do a little bit of a recap here. Week one was this. We make better decisions when we pursue wisdom. We make better decisions when we pursue wisdom. And and the wisdom that I'm talking about is both God's wisdom and both the idea that we set our sights on a life of wisdom, not just a life hack or getting good ideas when we need them, not just a quick fix or a get out of jail free card. But we say, hey, as a person, I'm going to commit myself to growing in wisdom. That was week one. Week two, we make better decisions when we interrogate our fears, when we're more specific about what is holding us back from making decisions, whether that be a fear of lack, a fear of pain, a fear of other people's approval, a fear of disaster, when we're more specific about those things, and then we bring that to the Lord and, and think about the key, uh, one of the key themes of the book of Proverbs, which is the fear of the Lord, living in awe and reverence of God, living our lives under the authority and priority of God, that's where we will find wisdom and where we will make better decisions. Week three was this. We make better decisions when we want the right things. So this is dealing with our internal motivations, our desires, in what the Bible defines as the heart. The heart is the center of our will and our emotion, our desirable uh, what, we, what we see is desirable, undesirable, what we see, what we truly love and what we truly want. Now, our final big idea for today is this one. Are you ready for it? Our final big idea is we make better decisions when we make our biggest decisions in advance. Okay, we make better decisions when we make our biggest decisions in advance. Now, Probably your immediate thought, most people would say, well, how is that possible? Assuming that that is possible, how is that possible? Because if you understand or have lived in the world that we live in, things have been like mixed up, right? Like global pandemics, wars, all kinds of different things happening. That's on a global level. But in your life, I'm sure that you've had a couple of major things that have happened to you some highs and some lows. So how is it possible that we can make our biggest decisions in advance? And before we get into our passage of Scripture, I want to talk about two things. The first thing I want to talk about is choice. By nature choice, the, the main kind of strain of thought for the last 120 years in both business and psychology is this. That the more choice that we have, the better off we'll be. 
This is the this has kind of been the headline. If we have more choice, our well-being will be enhanced. Now there are two drivers for this. One is from a psychological perspective. If we have autonomy, we have the the need for autonomy and control. And this is a good thing, right? Every person has to have boundaries. So I am me, you are you, and we need to have that sense of autonomy and control. That's really, really important. From a business perspective, for the free market to flourish and to thrive, you need to have choices. You need to allow that free trade to to flow. So there's been this underlying assumption that says, the more choice that I have, the happier I'll be, the more satisfied I'll be. My overall life will be better. However, and this is how a, a psychologist Professor of Psychology and author of the book, The Paradox of Choice. This is what he said. Both psychology and business have operated on the assumption that the relationship between choice and well-being is straightforward. The more choices people have, the better off they are. However, latest research is not backing this up. There's a couple of things. One is choice paralysis. Who has experienced firsthand choice paralysis? Yeah, there's hands going up all across the building. Choice paralysis, right? Okay, so here's where I experience choice paralysis, homeware shops. I'm like, I don't know. Is this going to go with that? Going to go with that? And you get choice paralysis, and when you get choice paralysis, who, people have different responses. Some people just like power down. Are you just like, I can't deal with this, I've got to go and eat a tub of ice cream? Or maybe that was a very specific thing just to me. (laughs) The other thing is, it's related, is decision fatigue. You make so many decisions. In fact, some of the most successful people in the world, or people who need to make decisions most often, do some things in their lives that actually reduce decisions. They say, I'm going to wear a white shirt and black pants every work day of my life. In fact, one of um, Beck's uh, old bosses in Sydney, very, um, very successful business person, uh, very, very wealthy, he had um, five pairs of exactly the same shoes that he used to wear every day and he used to rotate them. Okay, obviously gives an insight into his personality, but in terms of choice and decision fatigue, there is some science behind that. Now, what this uh, author, Barry uh, Swartz, goes on to say this. He says, psychologists and business academics alike have largely ignored another outcome of choice. More of it requires increased time and effort and can lead to anxiety, regret, excessively high expectations, and self-blame if the choices don't work out. Eventually, each new option makes us feel worse off than when we did before. And sometimes, not all the time, the thing that we think that we need is actually making us more miserable. And more choice isn't automatically better for us, And sometimes it's worse, and maybe you knew that or you didn't know that. But I think the next thing that I'm going to talk about, most people 
have experienced this is we don't like the feeling of having no choice or being forced into a choice. One of the words that we would use associating with this is an ultimatum. Now, uh, my dad, uh, who's here today, he gave me some uh, wise advice from a conversation that he had with a great Christian leader. He said, don't back people into a corner because the only way out is over the top of you. And we experience this in life. I personally, I don't like ultimatums. Uh, but in some sense, ultimatums are, are quite healthy. If we define an ultimatum as a choice with relational consequences. We're not talking about an ultimatum as coercion or with emotional or physical threats, but there is a sense that in life there, there are decisions which become ultimatums. So in my relationship with Beck, we had two points of ultimatum. The first was this. So we're, I was in a church in Sydney and a good friend of mine said to me, said, look, Beck likes you, of course, all right? <laughs> We don't need to go into that. Anyway, I won't, I won't go on. And, and he said to me, you better do something about that. So he gave me an ultimatum. And I said to her, look, because we were good friends, you, uh, you're, you're a, a great friend and that's all our relationship is ever going to be. So we kind of resolved that and I never saw her again. Um, <laughs> the second ultimatum was this. It was on our, on our wedding day where we say, I choose you and I choose none of the other options. It's exclusive and that was very, very healthy. You see, in some Circumstances, you need to get to a place of decision, an example of a big decision that you make in advance. Now, today we're going to look at our passage of Scripture, and we're going to look at a biblical character called Joshua. So if you've read any of the Bible, um, you've probably come across, I think it's the sixth book of the Bible, the book of Joshua in the Old Testament. And so Joshua was a military leader. He apprenticed under Moses. What do we know about uh, Joshua? We know that he loved the presence of God, that he stayed in the place where the presence dwelt. He stayed longer. We know that he was a bold and courageous military leader. And overall, if you read the book of Joshua, you would say overall he does a, he does a good job. He sees angels, he sees miracles, he fights battles, he deals with conflict, he conquers land. And so we get to the end of his leadership, recorded in the end of the book of Joshua. And so he's making this speech. Now, one of the things that I, I love about this speech, I mean, there's so much that we can benefit from him, but particularly in relation to our series, it kind of weaves in all the themes and all the key things that we've been talking about. So it's an appropriate finish to this particular series. So have a look at this and follow on Joshua 24. It'll be up on the screen and we'll break it down a little bit. So firstly, he starts with encouragement. Verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him 
with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Okay, starts with an encouragement. It's bold. Then, watch this, there's both choice and ultimatum here. Verse 15, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable, now remember, desires, heart, if it's not in your internal motivation, undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day. Interesting. Whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. Then, okay, we've got an encouragement, choice, and ultimatum. Then finally, he talks about his own personal decision. He doesn't assume the choice of others, but he says, this is what I'm going to do. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, it is possible to make the big decisions in advance. And here's what I would suggest. The Bible actually doesn't talk about who you should marry, if you should marry. Should you have kids? Should you not have kids? If you should have kids, how many kids should you have? It doesn't talk specifically about that. It doesn't talk about what job to take, what, uh, where to live, whether that be country, state, location, townhouse. doesn't say any of that. But I would suggest also that whilst these seem like the biggest decisions, they're not actually the biggest decisions. And there, there, are, there is another level and another layer of decision that we can tap into if we want to and if we choose to that will then allow all those things to flow naturally. And I want to give you a couple of things that you can decide in advance. The first is this. You can decide to put God first. To surrender control to our loving creator. Let me break this down a little bit for you and explain what I mean. Do you know that by nature Christianity is an ultimatum? That it boils down to a choice around the person of Jesus, do you accept or reject Jesus? Now, I think in that respect that sometimes when we get to that point, that kind of ultimatum, that makes us a little bit uncomfortable. Do you know what? Like, Because when you come down to ultimatums, you, you've got this You've got to, you want to choose the right thing, but also then you're like, oh, if I choose this, how is that going to impact my sense of control and autonomy? And all these things are going on emotionally and logically in our heads. But following Jesus, it's an ultimatum. That's, that's how the Bible describes it. When we go to the book of Revelation, we see you get to the point where at the end of our lives, Jesus comes back or we go to heaven and he says, do you know me? Have you accepted me as God? A little bit uncomfortable, but the truth according to the Bible. And the best thing and the most difficult thing is it threatens our sense of control. This week I came across quite a, a fascinating uh, quote from an Orthodox bishop 
in London. And here's what he said. His name is Bishop Irene. And he says this, There is a great fear in secular society of anything that puts our identity in the hands of someone else. The church, God, anyone. It must be me who defines who I am. But Christians have always understood this to be almost the primal deception. It is the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis when the serpent comes and says, don't you want to be different from the way God created you? The ultimate end to that story is this, self-determination creates sorrow. And we can make some connections between our, our earlier understanding of the fact that there is a point where more choice doesn't enhance our lives. It makes us stressed out. It makes us anxious. It fills us with regret. It fills us with pressure. And in the same way, our society right now is the most anxious it has ever been. Unfortunately, 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 right now, this is tragic. We have the most suicide the highest suicide rates in any time in human history, but at the same time, the ability to choose more things than we ever have. And we're even going into categories of being able to choose things that no one even thought that we should choose. And what people have recently found true in psychology and business, God has known all along because it's part of our created design. More choice, more control is not better. It doesn't lead to peaceful lives. It leads to stressful, anxious, and dissatisfied lives. Now, one of the internal challenges is that sounds restrictive. Nobody likes to be told what to do. Who, who is like, tell me what to do, boss me around. No, if you're married, okay, that little, that little sideways glance, I saw that. <laughs> now, the thing with God is he never takes control, never, because that would be controlling. But what he does is he invites us to surrender. And surrender is different. Because surrender is giving control rather than control being taken. And that's a really healthy thing if it's done well. God does not set an alarm for me to get up on a Sunday morning, schedule my diary, deduct my bank account, he leaves me and you the free will and the choice to make decisions about how you live your life, what you do, what you don't do. But I want to say this morning, my encouragement, just in the way that Joshua made an encouragement, is that the sooner that you can choose to surrender your whole life to God, the better off you'll be. I know that's a bold statement. And some of you are like, I just met you and you're telling me what to do. And you've got to resolve that yourself, right? There is choice. 
But I want to encourage you, the sooner that you can get to the point, whether you're going to trust God with your heart, with your emotions, with your time, with your finances, with your schedule, with your family, with the big decisions, the sooner that you can resolve those decisions, the sooner that you can make that, the better off that you will be. And one of the reasons that you'll be better off, I'm going to unpack this a little bit, but once you make that decision, you're not, the rest of the decisions are not what decisions, they're how decisions. Let me give you some examples. So for Beck and I, we have been, we've been married for almost 20 years and we just decided that we are going to follow God in these areas. We're going to follow God in our marriage. Vastly reduces the choices, but I would also say it's it's freeing. It's full of life, right? So we're not on dating apps. Well, I'm not on a dating app. I actually haven't checked. <laughs> she doesn't have space on her phone. It's interesting that she chose that she doesn't have space on her phone. <laughs> Okay, we are not on dating apps. We're not looking at pictures of other people nude, okay? Just getting it out there. (laughs) You make some decisions, some big decisions before God, and then you live out the choices, the narrower choices around those decisions rather than having everything open up. Do you see the life and the power of it? It's a little counterintuitive, but there's life. We put God first with our money. We've always done this in terms of tithing. We give at least 10% of our income away. It might sound like mind-blowing. We give to missions. We give to building. We set aside some, some money that we can just, as the Holy Spirit leads us, right? Why? Because we've got less options, but we just begin to live that out. We put God first with our energy. We prioritize. We plan to serve others, to open our home, to build relationships, to have prayer. Do you see how there's less decisions there? We've made some bigger decisions. Now, one of the parts, as we break this down, one of the parts is that you surrender But the other part is that you surrender to a loving creator. God, the loving creator, knows how we are designed and knows the set of circumstances by which we will flourish. I heard a story recently of someone who tried to cook uh, at their workplace, tried to uh, cook some sausages in the kettle of their workplace. All right, So it overflowed, ruined the carpet. Uh, most of you have got some level of intuition that's a bad idea, but manufacturers' directions say a kettle is for boiling water, not cooking sausages. Now, we've got to understand that God created us and he knows how we are designed and he knows how we will flourish. So the first big thing you can decide in advance, if you choose to, is to put God first. The second thing 
that you can decide in advance is to choose God's pattern for living by obeying God's word. Now, Joshua, at the beginning of his book, he kind of unlocks his, the secret to his success. And he says this, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Okay, so here's one way to look at the Bible. The Bible is guidance for making great decisions that build healthy relationships with God and people. Okay, my summary, you can, there may be flaws with it. But this is one way to look at the Bible. And there is a unique path that the Bible and the teachings of Jesus set for people to live their lives. Now, if you uh, currently are kind of linked into what's happening, um, all the buzz right now is chat GPT. Okay, chat GPT, anyone heard of it? Anyone used it? Okay, so chat, chat GPT, GPT, generative pre-trained transformer. Okay, so it's a form of artificial intelligence. So what I did as part of preparation is I asked chat GPT a question. And here's the question. The question is this, how should somebody treat an enemy? Okay, do you want to know what chat GPT said? We don't have a live voice. I could do a robot voice but that would be sad. All right, here's what it says. It's important to prioritize certain principles that can help promote understanding, resolve conflicts, and maintain your own well-being. I think that's pretty good. Everyone loves that. Next one here. Okay, it gave eight things. First is maintain composure, seek understanding, communicate openly, set boundaries. All very good, we would say that. Focus on solutions, practice forgiveness, prioritize self-care, and seek mediation if necessary. I think everyone here would say those are some really good things. All right, chat GPT tick. Now I changed the query and I said, how should a Christian treat an enemy? Because what we're saying is when we are fall under the instruction of the word of God, then we have a different set of options. Do you want to know what it came up? It said this, as a Christian, the teachings of Jesus Christ provide guidance on how to treat enemies. Okay, chat GPT knows the word, all right? <laughs> just, been, just been reading my Bible. Just like get a little coffee, find a... Anyway, there were eight things as well. And here's what they are. The first is love and forgiveness. And it said, Jesus taught his followers to love their enemies. That's different. And to pray for those who persecute them. This means having a genuine concern for their well-being and extending forgiveness, even in challenging situations. So one of the main differences is, if you have this question without Jesus and without the Bible, you're just going to focus on your own well-being. If you have it with Jesus, you're actually going to have a greater responsibility even to the well-being of a person who is not treating you right. And that is a different set of decisions. It goes on, turn the other cheek. This is a, a quote from Jesus. Jesus encouraged his followers to respond to hostility with non-retaliation rather than seeking revenge. 
Christians are called to respond with patience, humility, and a commitment to peace. And then it goes on. Pray for them. Act with kindness and compassion. Keep going. Next one. Set healthy boundaries. That's also biblical. Seek reconciliation and peace. Reflect on your own actions. And trust in God's judgment. Trust that there is a greater power at work. Do you see the difference here? That as we begin to lean in to the patterns of God's word, we have less choice, less option. We actually have a pathway that we can step out. The final thing is this, and you can come up, Naomi is that we are encouraged to listen to the prompting of God's Spirit. In the story of Joshua, there was one time that he made a bad decision in Joshua chapter 9 in the story of the Gibeonites, and he made this bad decision because he didn't seek the counsel of God. He didn't inquire of God. And that was the source. One of my sons, seven years old, he's fascinated with Siri. Okay, Siri, the another artificial intelligence. You know, hey Siri, that Siri. I don't. So, a um, couple of reasons he likes Siri to tell jokes. Uh, Siri can tell jokes, and he tries to imitate my voice. So he's like, "Tell me, how do you like?" How do you say that? And he's kind of trying to hack the system, which is very much a thing that he does in life. (laughs) But then after that, he asked me this question, which I thought was like, I never would have thought of that. He said to me, when did you meet Siri? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, she knows your voice and she knows your name. So at some stage you would have had to have met. And I said, that's that's a pretty good question, right? For a seven-year-old or for someone as old as me. But anyway, and I said, no, it doesn't work like that. We had a a time where we kind of, you get that to recognize your voice and and you get in, in sync. And that's what it, in a much far grander way, that when we understand and we have a level of connection in our lives that we connect into listening to God's voice. I've got my AirPods here, right? So when you pair your AirPods to your phone or to your device, you are in sync. You are ready to receive the messages. Do you know that you can set a course to hear the voice of God? Everyone can do it. It's part of our creator design. I've never met a single person in all my years of being in church or leading people that couldn't hear the voice of God if they set their mind to it. Because God speaks, he speaks to different people in different ways, but he always speaks to everybody. And if we set our, our mind to say, I'm going to be someone who learns the voice of God, but also he's challenging, and I understand this is challenging, that someone who's going to obey the voice of God That is a big decision that you can make, which will actually transform every decision in your life. It will bring such health to you. Isaiah 42 says, whether this is a statement from a group of people, whether it is unfavorable or favorable, we will obey 
the Lord our God, to whom we are sending you, so that it will go well with us, for we will obey the Lord our God. And so I know today we've talked about things which threaten our autonomy and our control. And I get that. And it's like, okay, who is this dude telling me what to do with my life? I want to say that none of this makes sense until we encounter the person of Jesus. Until we get a revelation of the beauty of God. The love of God. He's not trying to boss us around. He's like a loving father that's leading us into a life of wholeness. He wants the best for us and he has a way, not our way, but his way that he wants to do that. So right now, we're going to take just a couple of minutes. This is like one of the best parts where we've spoken, we've shared around the word of God and we allow the Holy Spirit, the life of God that is within you to speak to you, to give you a custom-made message, that inner voice within you. And so today, I want to bring us to a place where we are open to say, God, where do you want to challenge me? Where have I, I been holding on to control and not trusting your love? not trusting your provision, not trusting your goodness, not trusting that you created me, that you know that you have a future and plan. So I'd love just for you to uh, bow your heads and close your eyes. Jesus, we, we just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would speak to hearts right now. I'm just going to give you a minute. I'm not going to say anything and just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are the voice within and you are also the courage and the boldness within to live out what you're calling us to. So God, we just pray you would lead every single person into life and wholeness. Help us to trust you. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this message. We hope that it has inspired you to follow Jesus. You can find out more about City Lights Church at city-lights.church.